Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner on the Friday edition of 2 for 1 Drafts. We have a loaded podcast for you today. We interviewed Chris Trapasso, a draft analyst for CBS Sports. I interviewed Tyler Johnson, the Minnesota wide receiver. And I'll tell you right now, just to tease it, he really opened up about what people are saying about his character and why he bowed out of the East-West Shrine game. Really impressed with how Tyler Johnson handled some of the tougher questions. And then we also interviewed Boise State offensive tackle Ezra Cleveland, who's kind of flying up boards on people's radar after a very, very good combine. He seemed a little ticked off by it. He's like, hey, no one was at my podium before I ran. And now people are calling me like me trying to get his interview because he does blow up the combine. Ezra to be Cleveland, fair, though, it's still an offensive lineman. People were probably going to be at your podium true. before that. Well, but no. yeah, yeah. Anyway, Ezra Cleveland, flying so, up boards. We interviewed Ezra Cleveland of Boise State, Tyler Johnson of Minnesota, and Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports drafting analyst. But let's dive in. Before we get into those interviews, we're going to do a big board update, look at the notable risers and followers for post-combine. We talked the winners and ones. Yeah, we talked winners and losers on Monday and Wednesday. Here we're going to actually look at risers and followers on PFF's latest big board. And we're also going to open the podcast with, we got to get a take on this Quinn and Williams stuff. It kind of broke late last night and more details are coming out through the morning. What's your initial takeaway right now of Quinn and Williams, you know, and, and what's going on? Well, my initial takeaway is he's a dumbass. That like that is just absurd to me. Now, hand up, my father brought accidentally brought a Swiss Army knife, tried to bring it through security one time. They to- kindly told him to go back and put it in your car. Mm-hmm. So like it happens, but that's a gun is a little different from a Swiss yeah. Army knife. Let's set the tone a little you bit. Know? So right now, according to Ian Rapport, you know, Quinn and Williams, the Jets defensive tackle, second year defensive tackle, was arrested last night for criminal possession of a weapon, a Glock 19 pistol, while attempting to board a plane. He has a permit for the gun in Alabama where he played a few years ago, but not in New York. My takeaway is I'm not super concerned that he had a gun. I I don't, I'm not diving into that, but I do think what it really does show is how, how much of a boneheaded decision is it to bring a gun to an airport, let alone a state you don't have a a permit for. I mean, people were saying he was kind of immature coming out, but that's just like, that's beyond. He's 22 years old, bringing a Glock 19 pistol to an airport. I don't care where it is. I could have been in Alabama. Why are you bringing a gun to an airport? Is it still unclear whether or not it was loaded? Uh, It was not loaded, apparently, but he did have a magazine with him. So I don't know what. We're not going to speculate on what's going to happen yeah. to him, but it's not going to be good. Like, well, I looked, good. I looked it up a little bit. So you know, I New York up. is like having a gun in New York is not a good thing. It's illegal to just like have one there straight. Period. I'm going to read this straight from the horse's mouth here. Penalties for a felony conviction of criminal possession of a firearm in New York is one to four years in prison and a fine up to $5,000. I don't think he'll get a felony conviction, but that's, again, a lot of this, that is speculation. I mean, this, this is like the Plaxico Burst thing all yep. over again, where it's like, yes, he shot himself. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, he didn't. Like, that he didn't commit, he like, shoot himself. Well, I mean, saying like, yes, like it, it was a. He didn't like it was like a victim crime, mm-hmm. but it's still like New York and having a gun is just like a no go. I'll read this too. penalties for a misdemeanor conviction of a criminal possession of a firearm or one year in jail or, or a maximum is one year in jail and a fine of a thousand dollars. I don't think just speculation. I don't see this being a felony conviction, but we'll see. I will see as it kind of goes forward. Dude, this guy. I mean, this is not a good. This is not what we expected yeah. coming out of Alabama. Not at all. Say. I mean, and, and you, you watch the interviews with this guy. You listen to the interviews with this guy. He's got a great head on his shoulders. High character, dude. Everyone loves Loves this guy, but this is not a smart decision. This is not a smart move by Quinn and Williams. All right, let's move right into the big board. That's move off the Quinn and Williams stuff. It's two for one drafts. We're still talking rookies. We're counting Quinn and, Quinn and Williams as a rookie to start the podcast. Let's get into our risers, our notable risers on the post combine PFF big board. I encourage you to go to PFF.com to check that out. But I want to start with Minnesota safety Antoine Winfield Jr. People had question marks about his top speed. He goes to the combine, clocks a great time in the 40 yard dash. People are now kind of getting more on board with this 
guy being a top safety in this class. Yeah, it's, I think it's because anytime you're projecting a guy to a deep role, and that was where he was best at in Minnesota, you want to see speed. Like you need to see a guy be able to cover ground. And yes, we saw it at times in Minnesota, but they didn't play a lot of you know single high stuff. There's a lot of two high or quarters uh, their coverages at Minnesota. And so when you don't see a guy really have to get on his horse from the middle of the field uh, and do stuff, you just like you have questions about how fast the guy is. And then he goes sub four or five and that's like ticks that box that you want to see. And then he moves up the board because you feel better about him projecting to a role like that, that he didn't do in college. And that's kind of what a lot of this athletic testing and a lot of guys, times guys either rise or falls because it's something that necessarily you didn't see them do in college that they then prove they are capable of. Yep. Right now he's 71st on PFF's latest big board. Definitely encourage you to check that out. Going into his combine, weighed in at five foot nine, torn three pounds with 38 and an eighth inch. First all, I feel like, I feel like that should have been higher. That should be higher. Oh man. Okay. That's well, he, he might be rising up even further, but Antoine Winfield Jr. clocked a 4.45 40-yard dash, 36-inch vertical jump, and a 124-inch broad jump, which is a 10-2 broad jump if you want to convert that pretty well quickly. Uh, let's move into another riser. I also, I, So I wanted to actually stay on Antoine Winfield Jr. for a little bit. I really do love his instincts, and I think he bringing those instincts to the table are awesome, and I think when you check that box that you do have 4-4 speed, you I do start to think about this guy as a legit free safety candidate at the next level, a guy that can start and produce at a high level. However, the concerns and maybe a reason why you still have him at 71 those injuries are still a concern Mm -hmm. this guy has really struggled with injuries and i think that those red flags are important to bring up let's dive into uh chase claypool and cole commit let's bring up these guys together the two notre dame guys come in and really blow up the two notre dame tight ends two notre dame tight ends chase claypool and cole commit both of these guys come in and and really do blow up the combine respectively above expectation i think chase claypool more so than cole commit but you see both of these guys as risers after a good combine yeah claypool it's because of the positional versatility. It's like we didn't think he could win necessarily on the outside. And we have a big wide receiver like that. Like that's the role you think a guy who's 225 pounds is going to have to play at the next level. I mean, big slot is not an option for a lot of offenses. That's not a, like that's a limited role. Only a handful of teams are willing to like utilize but when you come in at around 240 pounds and like 238, uh, you know, is a trip to the Waffle House away from 240. <laughs> at that point, like you are a tight end. He has tight end size. And if you're testing out freakishly at that size, well, shit, like you're a tight end at this point. And that's a much different role in terms of what you're asked to do, in terms of what skill set is needed at that position. So that's why he moved up a bunch on the board. Because, yes, I didn't think he could win outside against, you know, all the cornerbacks in the NFL that are like pretty much all 5'11 plus and are going to be able to match him and jump at the at those jump balls that he won so much in college. It's a little different at tight end. When you run a four four two, you can run away from linebackers yeah. if you're matched up one on one on them. You can you know physically uh, overmatch safeties and that sort of stuff in coverage. So uh, I do think that if that's if you really can get into the mid two forties and be treated like a tight end at the next level, a lot more valuable now. Yeah, four four two forty yard dash it. Six foot four, 238 pounds for Chase Claypool is very, very impressive. And with Cole Komet, he too, in a tight end class that really yeah. fell, like a lot of guys dropped on our boards from the tight end class after poor combines. Cole Komet was one of the lone risers because of what he was able to, you know, what he did at the combine. And truthfully, I hadn't even known that he was, this is how it shows how great a Notre Dame fan I am, that he was like focused on baseball more so than football early on Oh wow! at Notre Dame. Only, only just like later in his career at Notre Dame said, I'm only doing football. And so like at 262, 66262 with 10 and a half inch hands, like this dude has monster size for the position. And then to run a four seven with 37 inch vertical, like he could be sort of, he's a guy who you think the, his best days are ahead of him at mm-hmm. this point with how young he is only a true junior coming out with that athleticism and like 
he was utilized in such a limited role in that Notre Dame offense, like his production. And that's why we we're kind of low on him to start with, was just like these up the seam, not really beating much. And then kind of was easily chopped down after the catch, but uh, physical tools at the time position do matter. Like having that speed and having that size does matter. So I do think that uh, ticking those boxes, like when other guys didn't, is going to help him in this class. Jumping to Ezra Cleveland, the Boise State offensive tackle. You'll listen to the interview later in the podcast. But Ezra Cleveland, man, had a very, very good combine. Weighed in at six foot six, three hundred eleven pounds, four hundred four point nine three. 40 yard dash. I don't know why I said it like that, but he ran a 493, 40 yard dash, 30 inch vertical jump, 726 three cone. I mean, this guy at 311 pounds really did turn in a good combine. I think Tristan Worst was still in the show, but Ezra Cleveland kind of flew under the radar as a guy that really is rising up boards right now with his athletic and, testing. And here's why the athletic testing matters. And here's if you go to our friends over at Mock Draftable, a great website that gives you historical com- comparisons and sort of like easy ways to visualize combine data and testing data. Here are his closest athletic comparisons along the offensive line according to mock draft well garrett bowles joe Hag. so those those aren't great to start off with but both <laughs> starters in the nfl joe tooney mitch morse brian o'neill ollie marpet taylor lewan and chris lindstrom oh wow that's those are as close like those that's a that's a good company athletically to be a part of all those guys stars in the NFL, at least some of them very much high level stars in the NFL. So like if that's your floor is mm-hmm. being compared with those guys, that that's why you're going to shoot up trap board. Do you see him as a tackle in this class? 33 inch, yeah. 33 and three eighths inch arms. Do you think he plays tackle or guard? Oh, 100% tackle tackle. Class, yeah. Gotcha. All right, let's move forward. I got two guys I want to bring up before we dive into the fallers and then the interviews. Um, Antonio Gibson of Memphis of Memphis ran with the wide receivers. We mentioned this a little bit earlier in the week, but really did rise up boards i think if you look at him as a running back who ran a 439 40 yard dash at over 225 pounds you're talking about a guy that has legit legit speed and and can really offer a ton with the ball in his hands i think getting him involved in a very versatile chess piece type of role where you're getting him involved in the backfield using him in the slot and using that pass catching ability he's not a great route runner but he doesn't have to be find ways to get the ball in his hands i think he can have success everyone's raving about what jonathan taylor did antonio gibson did something very similar at the combine in his rising because of it. Yeah. And here's the thing about Antonio Gibson, like on a per touch basis, like his tape is as good as any other running backs in his class. Yes. Like when he has the ball <laughs> in his hands, like it actually is. The thing is, he's only touched the ball 70 something times in his entire career. So like, yes, like it looks great on the football field. But then when he goes to the combine and proves, oh, you know, this might translate because I'm still a fr- like I, I was looking so good with the ball in my hands because I was, in fact, an athletic freak. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so like if you're. Again, we go back to that. If you want to draft a guy in the first round, if you want to draft Deontay Swift in the first round, Tony Gibson looks as good on tape right now, and you're probably going to get him in the third or fourth. If you reduce this, the the qualifier for attempts for running backs to 30, just 30 attempts in 2019, Antonio Gibson has the best force miss tackle rate of any running back in college football. Yeah, that's a small sample size, but this guy, again, with the ball in his hands, can really do damage from an elusiveness standpoint. He has the speed to go the full distance. I really do like Antonio Gibson in this class. So 16 broken tackles on 33 carries. This in what his the career. heck is that? <laughs> and then 17 broken tackles on 44 catches. In his that's career. absurd. Yeah. All right, one, one more guy I want to bring up, and this guy's rising for two reasons. One, had a very good combine, Justin Jefferson of LSU, national champion Justin Jefferson of LSU. I think he clocked a 40-yard dash in the 4-4s, surprised a ton of people there in Indianapolis. And everyone we talked to, everyone we talked to about the wide receiver class brought up Justin Jefferson as a guy to know. We, a little bit lower on him than the first-round type of guy. We have him in the 40s or 50s on PFS draft board. He rose a bit with a good combine and good feedback from guys we trust. But Justin Jefferson, the more you look at his tape and the more you think about him as a slot receiver in the next level very smart 
deceptive, creative as a route runner. I really do like this Cooper Cup comparison that he's going to find ways to get open. Maybe he isn't a guy that can separate on the outside with consistency, but he's going to find ways to get open, find holes in zone coverages, and be a productive player in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I like as much as we kind of devalue the slot and say it doesn't matter. Like, I, I think I like what he brings to the table in terms of like actually going above and beyond value in the slot. A lot of, we talk about how a lot of scheme, slot production is schemed, but I think you can trust him more so than your average slot receiver that you're getting yes. scheme production for. Like, he's so good at, you know, finding those holes, knowing when to sit down in the middle of the zone, knowing uh, how to create that little inch of separation on sort of like an option route uh, and how to time his routes and pacing and that sort of thing. So, as much as we've kind of been dogging on him and for like, just like, it's not been dogging on them. It's more been just like, we're hesitant on these guys. Like when a guy is risky like that and doesn't do, uh, it hasn't done something. We're just going to be lower on it because there's inherent risk in not knowing what's going to happen in the next level. Some people see that as potential. We see it as risk. Uh, so, but to like, then see him test out super athletically as he did at the combine, it's just, you, you feel better. You just feel better about it. And I think uh, I saw this from Zach Cruz guy. I encourage you to follow on Twitter. If you are a green Bay Packers fan, but I thought this was interesting from Matt LaFleur who said this last year, a slot, especially with what we want to do has to have some good instincts. And really you want a smart player that you can call choice routes with it yeah. with, and it takes smart players sure. to do that. And I think it's, Justin Jefferson is that he is that. a smart yeah. player that knows how to find holes and zones can call You can call choice routes with him and he's going to make the right decision. I think the more I think about, you know, schemed production from the slot, finding guys that you can scheme the best with. I think Justin Jefferson is one of those guys. All right, moving to the followers. We've got to move kind of quickly here before we get into the interviews. But I think the main thing, the main takeaway is we have a ton of tight ends falling down the board after very <laughs> poor athletic testing. Jared Pinckney falls almost completely off the board, all the way down to 150 on PFF's latest big board. Shine O'Grady took a spill. Hunter Bryant. Harrison Bryant, Bryson Hopkins, all of these guys falling down the board because they fell below expectation from an athletic testing standpoint. And, and again, to be a value add at tight end, you got to be dynamic. Like a lot of guys have ball skills. Like all these guys have ball skills. Like, no, actually not Bryson Hopkins, but all, you know, <laughs> all the other guys, like a lot of guys are six, five, like a lot of guys play tight end because they're able to catch like, cause they have big catch radiuses. Yeah. Radii. Uh, but Jared Pinckney, like to be four, four, nine, whatever, you're just not going to be dynamic. You're not going to, the tackles you broke in college probably aren't going to happen in the NFL. And now I love his ball skills. I love his route running ability underneath. I think he could look like, look like, you know, Antonio Gates did a couple of years ago, uh, look like an old, you know, Antonio Gates, but that's not moving the needle at tight end anymore. Yeah, I would agree with you. All right. Some other followers to mention before we jump to the interviews here. Jawan Jennings of Tennessee. We brought it up mm -hmm. in the previous podcast. Ran a very poor 40 time. When you run in the four sevens, it's very difficult to add value as a receiver at the next level. It's similar to tight end. You're just not going to win from the outside. Yeah, it's more of the, the bigger thing there. You're not going to be able to challenge vertically on the outside. Like you can be a productive wide receiver, but you're not going people are going to squat on that underneath stuff. If you are, you know, a true X wide receiver. Because right. they're not afraid of getting beaten deep. Two more names I want to bring up. Juwan Jennings, the Tennessee wide receiver, played a lot in the slot, former quarterback, kind of you know moving to wide receiver, falls a bit after a poor 40-yard dash time. But Zach Moss is another guy we have to bring up. Did not run. He, we didn't think he was going to run fast, but he ran even slower than what we expected. I think he does no longer PFF's RB1 on the latest draft board. I think he's been overtaken. But Zach Moss, where are you right now with him after you know what was an underwhelming combine for the Utah back? Yeah, so this kind of with his running style, I was hoping he'd have a little more speed because he's not 
uh, I mean, he's similar to, gosh, Lester, Dave Montgomery coming out where it's not always, uh, he doesn't have the best, it's not, it's not the best vision. Like he does not have the best vision in the class. He is not a one cut type of runner. He will try to bounce outside more than probably you'd like, but like he, I thought he had the, at least the, the initial burst and then the speed to win on the edge and then br- break tackles and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But a four six five, I don't think that's going to be the case. Like yeah. I, I thought it was more when I saw you know the 90-yard run early in the season against, gosh, I can't remember off the top of my head who it was. I, in the open field, he was running away from guys. I thought it was going to be a little bit better than a four six five. But a four six five, that's even slower than like Kareem Hunt was coming out. Uh, that's about as slow as Dave Montgomery was coming out. That's just a little more worrisome. You just don't have to, against the running back position, you don't have to reach for these guys. Like, yeah. You'll find a good one later. So like <laughs> it's kind of the inbuilt. Uh, it just drops down into like the seventies. Was it yeah. one more name for diving interviews? Cameron dancer ran in the four sixes at cornerback. That is a huge concern at the cornerback position and 40 yard dash time really does matter at that position. He also showed up very thin. We brought it up on previous podcasts. I think what well, I, I mean, took he away wasn't from- going to show up. Not thin. Yeah. Yeah, thing. yeah. 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 188 <laughs> pounds. I think what? Six foot one, 188 pounds ran in the four sixes. I think with him, I need to go back to the tape. Look, go back to the tape and see how much he is hanging on guys. Cause you mentioned that. And similar to like what Deandre Baker was doing at yeah. Georgia, where when he was getting tested deep he hung on guys and took advantage of that no defensive kind of um no illegal contact yeah no illegal contact rule in the ncaa and i think with cameron dancer how often is he doing that because sometimes you can forget about those things is he slowing receivers down and taking advantage of that too much and i will say he had maybe the worst 40 form though i saw of any true of guys no there. that's true like, and that doesn't get brought like, up enough <laughs> like coming out of the breaks it looked rough uh and, and then like his arms were all over the place and his sprinting like it didn't you can tell when a guy is sprinting form like it's nice and loose and tight up top which i don't, I don't know what i just said loose and tight up top but mm. camera dancer like was all over the place in his form so like yes he's probably a little faster than that if like he had better perfected you know the 40 like tyler johnson is saying i'm perfecting my form still uh, if he had done that maybe he breaks into the four sixes but that's still slow yeah like, that's still not fat he's never getting to four or five what, what i found interesting and, and this is what we'll finish with i was listening to the move the six podcast with daniel jeremiah and bucky brooks and bucky said that teams bucky take brooks. the most take the the best time or the best measurement regardless of where it is in the pre-draft process if your best 40 yard time was at the combine they were going to put that on your card on the draft board if your best 40 yard time was in a, a personal uh personal workout with the team they're going to put that on your draft card i found that interesting i think dancer does have an opportunity at his pro day to maybe improve that time i think that also speaks to how form driven this yes stuff is. yes like it, it's your best time because you're not actually like getting faster it's uh it's when do you actually explode off the line the best and stay low or when cameron you, dancer's best cone, when start actually is, like is still weeks away the, yeah <laughs> cameron dancer's best start in the 40 yard dash is is has not hit yet <laughs> and that's why you get jalen ferguson doing it 15 times the three oh, cone to get that one sub eight time and still can't do it you hate still waiting to for that sub eight. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the Mike and I version. Right now, we're going to dive into that Chris Trapasso interview. Mike was kind enough to join me for that. But then for Tyler Johnson, the wide receiver of Minnesota, and Ezra Cleveland of Boise State, I did those solo. Listen to those. Check out these guys. But uh, thanks again. This has been Austin Gale, Mike Renner, 2 for 1 Drafts. Joining the two for one drafts podcast, we have Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports, a draft analyst. We met at the combine. Well, we met at the Senior Bowl, Chris. But I'd love to get started and ask, um, you know, how you got into this business, how you got into being a draft analyst. Yeah, I actually started at uh, Bleacher Report, like when the site first started, so like a decade ago uh, when I was in college, um, and then just worked for a bunch of different sites. Always kind of like dove decently deep into the draft, um, and then a few years ago, uh, just through like a freelance connection. 
that I had with CBS Sports, they let me know that that contract that they had with NFL Draft Scout with Dane Brugler and Rob Rang, who did such a good job there for a long time, that contract was like expiring the next draft cycle. Um, so to just keep doing what I was doing draft wise and the next draft year, so the 2017 college football season, um, so the 2018 draft class. I was hired as their first uh, draft analyst. Since then, Ryan Wilson does some stuff. Josh Edwards from 24-7 Sports has started to uh, contribute for CBS Sports in terms of draft coverage, but that's kind of an abridged version of of how I got to where um, I am today. I mean, we met at the Senior Bowl, but I've known Mike on Twitter, like pre-bachelorette, pre-long hair, so it's been kind of a long time knowing a lot of the pro... Yeah, like... A long time ago, it's been a long time following a lot of the uh, guys at PFF and just really a big fan of like everything that you guys have done over the last six or seven years. That's good to hear, man. And I, I'm happy to say that I knew Mike pre-bachelor as well. I, he's a little bit of a different man. He's a changed man, but uh, well, it, it is nice to know the man before pre-bachelor. All right, well, let's get into the big board. You, you, you recently dropped a big board for CBS Sports. And I think the first question I have for you, your wide receiver one. T Higgins at five overall on your board. Talk to me about what you see in T Higgins. Yeah. I mean, I think I have a tendency to kind of lean toward the bigger receivers. And I, I mean, I know that getting open is more important than making those contested catches in today's NFL. Um, I mean, he didn't work out at the combine said he was going to rest, which I thought was maybe a little (laughs) red flaggy. Um, But I think he would have tested pretty close to like CD lamb, like high four fours, maybe four five Oh, vertical up there um you know in the mid 30s i i think he's a good athlete i don't think he's this sluggish um kind of bigger wide receiver and i think his ball skills and catch radius separate himself from lamb and jerry judy in my opinion um i just think on the vertical route tree he can really be that guy that flips the field certainly in the red zone too i know we're not and trying to throw wide receivers as many fades as we used to in the NFL. Um, but I, I'm just a big fan of his ball skills. And, and again, I, I kind of lean in that direction. I think he's a good athlete too. I don't think he's going to sh- like really struggle to get open. I think he's good enough in that area. I love his releases off the line. Probably didn't face as good of competition in the ACC as Jerry Judy did in the SEC, but he saw press more often. And I thought he's pretty good with his hands and his wiggle at at the line of scrimmage to beat press. So we kind of put that all together, plugged it into my grading system. And he came out like a hundredth of a point ahead of CeeDee Lamb and a few tenths of a point ahead of Jerry Judy. What were your thoughts on the Ohio State matchup, because a lot of NFL evaluators and people, Dan Jeremiah even said, people are worried about the the matchup he had with Jeffrey Okuda. And Okuda kind of getting the best of him in that matchup. Now, it's no shame in the number one cornerback in the draft class, you know, this top five sort of pick getting the best of you. But what were your thoughts on that matchup in terms of how Higgins did? What did you see from him there that maybe gave you pause or maybe encouraged you projecting him to the next level? Yeah, I mean, that probably wasn't a game that would be at the top of his resume um, in terms of film because I think Akuda is a little bit more explosive than really a lot of the receivers in this class, and we saw that at the Combine. Um, there was a few times down the field, and I think it is a tendency for Higgins that he kind of lets cornerbacks push him like toward the sideline or, or almost out of bounds at times. Um, our net also was really grabby in that game. There was a, a pass breakup 
Later in in the game on a slant that Akuda probably should have been called for pass interference. Damon Arnett did get a pass interference on an in-breaking route in that game. He probably needed to be a little bit more physical at the line because, like I said, in the ACC, with his hand use and his, I'm not going to say elusiveness, but his wiggle at the line of scrimmage, he was usually able to get a pretty clean release. Against those Ohio State cornerbacks, though, that are good in press man, I think that's a little bit of an area that he needs to improve. Um, so that was kind of a red flag for me, but just what he has did over the past two years as a touchdown creator in at Clemson in that vertical route uh, tree, I thought that's really what was his ultimate trump card and why he's my um, wide receiver number one. Yeah, I mean, we like Higgins too, and one of the things you mentioned there is his ability like, to get off the wide scrimmage is different than a lot of other big wide receivers but mm-hmm. before we even had you on i was we were going through your board and i'm like i think he has a type like I, I think chris has a type and it's big wide receivers because you have two other guys here that you're a lot higher on than us at pff isaiah hodgins from oregon state gabriel davis from ucf uh both super productive guys both bigger wide receivers and like the reason we're low on them is we just question their ability to get off the line of scrimmage. Both those, like Isaiah. Hodgins, I mean, we question their ability to get off the line of scrimmage and also kind of separate. separate yeah. You know, I think the short area quickness does not show up for Isaiah Hodgins or Gabriel Davis. I would agree with you though that T. Higgins and Mike, you said this before as well, is a better athlete than people give him credit for. Everyone wants to put him in this box as a just a big bodied receiver, um, but I think similar to Michael Pittman, who tested a lot better than what people said. I think T. Higgins could test above expectation. I think I think the best thing we took from this really is Chris DePasso has a type and it's big bodies and i'm all for it man i can get on board with this um moving forward i know mike you wanted to ask him a little bit about his cornerback takes yeah yes you have 12 cornerbacks in your top 50 you love this cornerback class but i want to touch on three guys that probably are not in a lot of other top 50s you have michael ochamudier the iowa cornerback uh, at number 37 you have josiah scott the michigan state cornerback at 46 and you have Amik robertson the louisiana tech cornerback at 47th break us down you want to talk about a tight big bodied receivers small Sign corners yes, <laughs> josiah scott and Amik robertson both small corners yeah i mean starting with the iowa corner ojemudier um i i really i mean he was kind of one of the guys at the combine i didn't necessarily see the type of athleticism on film that he showed but uh i mean he ran in the low four fours he had a three cone under seven seconds i just feel like these iowa secondary members in uh kirk ferentz's system they're just very well coached they're good with their instincts i think he's not going to be a a a man-to-man cornerback or a, a man specialist in the nfl but i think with his length he's over six foot has over 32 inch arms um, and then you add in a little bit of what he showed at the combine which again I don't think really matches the film I think he's just going to be good in zone and make plays on the football and I think whatever team picks him is not going to say hey you're on an island you're in man um, most of the game so I think he has the profile um, to get his hands on a lot of footballs in the NFL in terms of Josiah Scott I saw a lot of speed on film and then he showed that at the combine too it pretty sure he was a low four, four guy as well. And then Amik Robertson um, is, I mean, it might be a little high for a nickel corner, but you guys always talk about it. And like, we know that nickel corners are starters today. So he probably won't get picked this high. He'll probably go in the fourth or the fifth round. 
But his twitchiness, his instincts, his aggressiveness, ball skills, he kind of checks all the boxes for me. Um, one last thing about Josiah Scott. I know it doesn't really move the needle a ton. I thought he was awesome in run support, getting off blocks on screen plays, which I think the latter is decently important in today's NFL with how often teams are throwing screens. Um, I thought his click and close was good. Um, and then a few times where he got stretched vertically, if he was even beaten at the line because he is a little smaller and doesn't have the length, I saw that recovery speed that matched with what he showed at the combat. So those are, yeah, those are probably the three guys that I'm a lot higher on in this cornerback class. And I really like it, but I almost like it like late first round into the third round, more so than like four, five, six guys going in round around like the Jeff Gladney's, the AJ Terrell's, the Jalen Johnson's late first, um, Damon Arnett, a lot of those other guys, Bryce Hall, I think are, are solid second round options. Yeah, I have two things there. I want to start one. I think I do agree that especially with nickel cornerbacks coming up and run support and playing the screens becomes more and more important as you know teams try and stretch outside the outside the tackles. You saw that with the San Francisco 49ers attacking outside the yep. tackles more often than not. And I think the other thing there, what you said about the the Iowa cornerback, Michael Ojemudier. Mike and I have said multiple times that these Iowa defensive backs are so well coached, really do understand how to approach zone coverages. I'd love to hear your take on on Geno Stone, someone Mike has called one of the more underrated players in this class. And I, I mean, very instinctual, very good in zone coverage, doesn't have the athleticism you necessarily crave at the safety position. But what he does bring to the table are those instincts. Is that discipline in zone coverage? Yeah, I mean, I think Geno Stone, maybe even more so than the cornerback, is kind of the embodiment of what a lot of these Iowa secondary members are, like just the type of player that they proved to be in college and then it translates very quickly to the pros. He ran in the four sixes, um, but I think he plays faster than that. And you just love his instincts. He played kind of this robber role um, in the middle of the field. I think that's where he's best. Get him a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. Let him disrupt the intermediate portions of the field. And the instincts really are just off the charts. He reminds me a lot of Micah Hyde, um, who went to Iowa, that, that he's not going to wow you athletically, like you said. Um, but I think in two or three years, we're going to say this is one of the more solid run support, you know, not not free safeties in the league, but run support, middle of the field safeties that has a fair amount of tackles, that gets his hands on the football, will tip passes, will have a few interceptions every season, and that coaches will probably value him more than his stats even show. Let's stay on yeah, the Iowa safety played class. 34 snaps of man coverage last year. Oh, man. Thir- only 34 snaps of yeah. man coverage last year for Iowa. That is kind of absurd. Crazy. You never <laughs> yeah, see it is. Right. You don't see that level of zone heavy anywhere else, really. Yeah, the NFL is like the most zone heavy teams in the NFL will still play man well over 100 snaps. And, yeah. Like, yeah. Let's stay on the safety class since we did bring up Geno Stone. You do have nine safeties in your top 60 on your latest board. Maybe you do like this safety class maybe more than others. I think some see this is a top heavy safety class. I know Mike and I have said that before, but who are some of your guys, your guys in the safety class? Well, we were kind of just talking about like slot cornerbacks and how like they're getting increasingly important. Mm-hmm. Kayvon Wallace and Terrell Burgess to me, like they are what I think. Okay. I mean, they're not Kyle Duggar. They're not Jeremy Chin, but they're like kind of the future. If you're not getting like an athletic freak that like you see them playing free safety, you see them dropping down into the slot. And I think they're both twitchy enough um, to play like a legitimate slot cornerback role. They play bigger than their size. They're very aggressive. They read their keys in the run game very well. Um, so those are two guys that, 
are probably not going to be picked as high as I have them. I have Kayvon Wallace at number 38 overall right now. I have Terrell Burgess at number 58. But I think they're going to be so valuable to their teams because we've, you know, we're again really focusing in on what Kyle Duggar can do, all the different things, Isaiah Simmons, Jeremy Chin, but I think you can get almost a discount version of those type of players that are much smaller, that are not as, you know, imposing on the field, but do three or four different things really well. Play safety, play slot corner, are that extra defender in the box. Yeah, they're going to get overwhelmed by bigger blockers at times but obviously the pass game is the most important and i think they can carry out safety and cornerback roles very well i think they both had great combines so like Kayvon wallace we already talked about on the pod earlier this week but Trell burgess we didn't touch on but he came in 202 which like he was listed like 190 something at utah so he got he gained weight but then also ran a 446 and did 20 reps on the bench like i think he proved that 446 is a great time yeah i, saying, I think he proved burgess. that hey i'm like a complete safety there uh, all right one last question here let's get to one guy towards the top of this class if you were to say there's always a bust in every single class there's always a guy drafted top 10 to 15 picks that just does not pan out which guy would you put a pin in this class and say i don't want to be the team that drafts him probably Derek brown um and and i've just seen it with so many of these type of interior linemen that like their highlight reels are crazy they're super strong but most of their highlights are them making like tackles for loss where they're just bull rushing like a really bad interior offensive lineman i think Derek brown is probably one of the strongest of that group but he kind of reminds me of like marcel darius um that that he's gonna be a good player but i don't think he's ever gonna live up to like if he goes inside the top 10 and believe me anytime i put him outside my top 10 in a mock draft and maybe you guys the same i get a ton of responses on twitter like you're crazy there's no way this guy's you know future hall of famer he's in dominican sue his combine <laughs> wasn't very good um i think he got better as a pass rusher using his hands but i don't think he's ever going to be like an 8 to 12 sack interior defensive lineman and in three or four years, the team that picks him is going to be like, all right, we have a solid guy that's going to be in the NFL for a long time, but we kind of regret picking Derek Brown when there was other players, maybe at defensive tackle or just more valuable positions um, on the board when we picked him. I think that's a good take, honestly. I mean, when you factor in positional value overall with interior defensive line, and then you factor in that Derek Brown didn't start to become a good pass rusher until he was like, Old. Yeah, until so he was like an older prospect yeah. in college football. I think that that is a good take. I know Eric Eager, Dr. Eric Eager, a data scientist here at PFF, you know, looked at Derek Brown and says, I don't even know if I draft this guy in the first round, knowing positional value, knowing how good this guy is as a pass rusher. I don't think that's a bad take at all. Well, Chris, we really appreciate you coming on two for one drafts. Um, uh, we got to get you on before the draft, maybe after the draft again, but appreciate it again. Thank you. Well, let's go ahead and get this thing started. I'd love to kick this off with asking you a, a little bit about your background and, and talk to me about when you first started getting into football, really. I know that's going a bit deep, but I'd, I'd love to hear more about your story and more how you got into football and eventually got on to Minnesota. So, yeah, uh, I grew up in North Minneapolis. I'm the oldest of, oldest of six. Um, and I play I play pretty much every sport growing up. I played basketball, I played baseball, uh, played Play hockey for a winter, um, and also football. Uh, my first year of football was whenever I was eight years old, nine years old, and yeah, been able to make a lot of friends throughout this whole this whole football thing. Um, so yeah, 
Nice man. I heard you played hockey. Were you a pretty good hockey player or what? That was all right. That was all right. Didn't, <laughs> you played forward, defenseman. Where would you play? Uh, at that young of age, there really isn't positions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not too much position. You just go out there and just run, just skate. So in high school, you played football in high school all four years. Yeah. And what position did you play then? I played quarterback in high school. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, I was a quarterback and a defensive back. Nice. And then what, talk yeah. to me about your recruiting process. You know, how many offers did you receive? Did people want you to play quarterback, want you to play receiver? How did that process go? Uh, the recruiting process was, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know, but um, especially in the Big Ten. Um, and some, some out west, some down south as well. Um, and a lot of schools was recruiting me as a defensive back. Some was a quarterback, but um, I, I was really listed as an athlete. So some schools wanted me to come down there and play receiver, gotcha. not knowing that I could play receiver. But you know, they wanted to try it out. Some most was defensive back and half quarterback though. But um, and then um, once I got here, I was on my official visit at the University of Minnesota. Um, talked to the coach and told him. You know, I wanted to play wide receiver, and he he said that you know I can do whatever I want if I end up wanting to change back to quarterback. Just let him know. So, still learning about the position, still having fun with it, but I'm just blessed to be in this position. Yeah, and so what made you want to play receiver after playing quarterback and defensive back in high school? What made you want to make that switch to receiver? Well, at the time, um, I would say that you know I wanted to get on the field as, as quickly as possible. We had a we had a vet quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I didn't want to register. I wanted to help help my team if that was possible. Um, so there was times growing up where I just loved. I've just always wanted to play receiver, mm-hmm. but you know, um, the coach coach wouldn't let me. And you know, making that switch it was it was challenging because you know you step into a whole different ball game pretty much. So you gotta you gotta study the game. You gotta study players, study different coverages, and and put everything together. So. Um, it's, it's definitely challenges, and, and I'm, I'm still learning. Yeah, well, what would you say the hardest part about that transition was? I mean, I know learning a route tree and learning to run routes must have been difficult, but what do you think the hardest part about that was? Knowing and understanding that everything is about timing. Um, the receiver has to be on the same page as the quarterback, you know, and throughout time, throughout a game, you know, there's going to be times where a defensive back is, is trying to throw the t- I'm an off, but in your mind, you have to still know in the back of your head that, okay, this is a time and play right here. And I have to be at this certain area at this certain time. So, um, but yeah, I, I would definitely say just knowing and understanding the timing about each and everything. Nice, man. Well, I want to get more into kind of more recent stuff, too. I want to talk about the combine and, and things like that. How did the week go for you? I know you didn't test, you know, obviously still working to test your pro day, but how did that week go for you meeting with NFL teams? Uh, it was good. I was I'm very excited that I had the chance to go out there and, and talk about football with, you know, where I'm going to end up pretty much. Um, and, you know, the overall experience was great. It was a great group of guys that I was down there with, and it was it was just a lot of fun. What were some of the common questions that teams asked you? What we you know, what were you kind of in a lot of different meetings? You heard questions about. Uh, I would say, 
Um, it's, it's hard. To, it's hard to remember, you know, what type of questions you get. Yeah. Um, just because you know you're you're pretty much down there, you get asked almost the same thing by <laughs> everybody. Some is asking more different, deeper things. But um, I would say that the the main the main thing that I was asked is the background question. Just like you asked, pretty much, you know, tell me about your background. I know yeah. I know that off the top of my head. So that's that's what I would say. Yeah, and I think so. You know, not not testing at the combine. What, you know, what are your expectations for your pro day? Do you have high expectations for your pro day? Do, what do you want to prove to these guys? What you can do athletically? Well, I mean, is I really just want to go out there and be me. Um, I feel like just going out there competing is very important, um, and the rest will do itself. Do you do you do a ton of like you know, reading online or looking on Twitter, kind of like where people see you in this draft class? Nope. nope. I don't do I don't do none of that. I feel like whenever you do that, it takes away excitement. It brings down your joy. Um, it's pretty much like like poisoning, like mm-hmm. you know, because people are pretty much out there. They say one bad thing, and that to just keep rolling. You know, to just keep rolling. You see it, and it just it just gets stuck down inside you. So. Um, not saying that I'm not on it, but mm-hmm. I just if if I if I tend to see something like that, scroll by it real quick. Yeah. Don't let it get to me. So you know what what does that make you I guess I mean I don't want to dive into it too much, but I, I'd be interested to know kind of your take when you see guys, you know, question your character or they question, you know, why isn't this guy testing or what you know, what is he you know, why did he not play in the East West Shrine game and all these things? Like what 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 goes through your head there? I'm not trying to pry too much, but I, I am interested to know when you do read that kind of negative stuff, what what goes through your head and what do you think about? People don't really know me, um, and I say that because it's it's pretty much a lot a lot that I go through and I've grew up with. Mm-hmm. And for some like a character statement to come up with, they definitely don't know me. Um, they don't know the type of person I am. Um, and on top of that, you know, people people they all have their opinions on somebody and why they don't do things and but at the end of the day you got to do what's best for you so Mm -hmm. i don't want to feel rushed about anything that i'm doing um and i know that guy has a plan and he has the right plan for me what do you think and i've had opportunity to talk to some some teammates coaches but what do you think your teammates and your coaches say about tyler johnson what kind of impression do you think you leave on on the people you've you've worked with on your team in the past a leader uh, a hard worker uh very competitive and he loves the game, you know, a student of the game at that. So I believe that those those are pretty much things that, that come to my teammates' mind, or at least that's what try, of type of impact I attempt to have on everybody. Mm-hmm. All right, last thing I want to ask you, I've been asking other prospects as well. It's like, so you go to the Indian, you know, you go to the combine. Obviously, you didn't test, but the, you see these receivers test three cone, 40-yard dash. They do see them with the drills. What do you think is the most important part of the combine for the wide receiver position? Is it the 40-yard dash that gets thrown on TV and everyone loves it, or is it something else? Is it the interviews? Is it medicals? Is it the broad jump? What, what do you think is the most important thing to prove or to do at the combine? Um, I really, if, in my opinion, um, I'll say the interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, all, the, all the testing stuff is you know, it's it's a great experience and it's cool and all, but you know, we 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 all play football, you know, and some some people will say it translates over, some people will say it doesn't, but we really 
just here to play football. We love we love the game. We love what the game has to offer. We love the relationships we bring with it uh, that comes with it. And at the end of the day, that's that's what we want to do, you know. And um, being able to talk football with with coaches, with great minds of the games, and you know them being able to see and understand what we what we can bring to the table, what we can teach them, what we can learn from them, you know, those type of things. They- carry over um, and they carry in the long run so um, that's what I would have to say is the most important important thing of the combine in my opinion great man well I, I really do appreciate your time and I, I do wish you the best of luck moving forward and uh, yeah best of luck I appreciate you thanks Tyler have a good one before you tested out what was the team's interest like and how does that compare to team interest now I mean all the team you know I interviewed with a lot of the teams before you know the uh the field day and stuff but um I you know the same teams are you know contacting me and stuff after pro day you know setting up individual meetings and stuff but you know I didn't think it really changed other than like I'd say like media wise mm-hmm. before before the uh before I tested and stuff you know at that podium uh interview I had there was only like two guys there and I was like yeah. okay no big deal and then uh one of the guys actually he said that like come Friday, this is going to change. Like a lot more guys are going to see that you aren't like you aren't like uh, under, you are underrated and stuff like that. So I, I think that's the one big thing that really changed after uh, after that Friday on field workout. Yeah. So in meetings with teams, what was some of the feedback they gave you, both positive and negative? What do they like about your game, and where do they see you improving in the NFL? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, finishing and just overall, you know. Physical, uh, physical play was one thing that can be improved, but you know, they like a lot of the teams, like, you know, my athleticism, how I moved and how like my pass set was and stuff. I need to talk about your teammate, Curtis Weaver or former teammate, Curtis Weaver. We are really, really high on Curtis Weaver. We see him as a first round player in this class. You had an opportunity to go against him in practice every week. What kind of player is Curtis Weaver? You know, Curtis off field, he's a goofy guy that, you know, everyone gets along with, but on the field, he, you know, flips that switch and, you know, he's that monster that you need him to be on the field. Uh, during practice, unfortunately, I had to go against him, but, uh, you know, it made me better. And, you know, our big things, iron sharpens iron. And, you know, me and I feel like me and Curtis together, you know, we, we really made each other better. And, uh, each other really one uh me and him are really like the the reason for us you know achieving what we have and stuff like that you say he's a goofy guy give me give me a story about curtis that i don't know i've talked to him a couple times give me a story about curtis that uh that you want to share it's just like i don't know it's uh can't really share a lot of them because <laughs> but that's fair but i mean like I don't know. When I like hang around with him and stuff, you know, we're always laughing. He always, he's always doing like basketball stuff on me, even though I don't even play basketball. <laughs> like walking around the store, he'll like pretend to dunk on me and stuff. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> geez. When I talked to him, I talked to him before the combine. He said he was in uh, Frisco, Texas, working with Exos, um, trying joining Club Sexy, trying to lose some weight before his combine. <laughs> he tested well too, though. Had a good three cone. We had you know a handful of teams more interested in Curtis after that three cone. Than they were going in. Um, back to your game, though. Where, you know, I asked you where do teams want you to improve? What, where do you want to improve? What do you want to do better in the NFL with NFL coaching, etc.? Yeah, I mean, uh, number one, I mean, I am coachable, but you know, you know, taking their coaching and stuff, and uh, you know, just try to get better in that physicality aspect and finishing like each play after the whistle and stuff like that. 
Yeah. And I think so take me back a little bit. I think film preparation is so important regardless of position, but probably the most important at office or up there with the most important at office to tackle. I talked to Jonah Williams last year, the Alabama office tackle now with the Cincinnati Bengals. He said he charts every pressure from his upcoming opponent and sees, are they a bull rush type? Do they hit outside? What hand moves do they use? What, what goes into your preparation in a given game week? Do you watch a lot of film? Do you do some of that charting stuff? What, what, what do you do to prepare for an upcoming opponent? So John Molshaw and I, we would always go in and watch film after practice or all like on our days off and stuff like that. And then fortunately for us, coach Bedell would take, um, so he like the numbers that we were going against. So like if it was like number eight on the, edge and like 95 in the inside yeah there'd be a number eight with all their pass rush film number 95 all their pass rush film in a cut up and we'd go in there and watch that and, you know like really break it down and you know see like down distance what move they're doing like what type of set what move they're doing and stuff like that so you know coach Bedell was really really there for us you know helping us uh be, be able to prepare for those pass rush moves yeah that's great and i think so to even get more specific than that when you do watch a cut up of, of a guy's all of his pass rush moves what are you looking for specifically obviously what types of moves he does but are there other things that you look for like in his stance or like you said down in distance what are you looking for exactly yeah so we were taught we were taught stab right when i came in here at boise you know stance tendencies alignment and body language so that's one thing you really you'd really look at when when they're lining up you know if they're if they're in like more of a sprinter stance you know they're gonna come up the field if they're tilted in you know and tight they'll go up and under and stuff like that just little just little keys that you could help uh that could help you throughout the game you know any any help any help that you could get pre pre-snap is like really helpful so Great, man. Well, that's all I needed from you. Is there, I, I would love to finish this interview with kind of, is there anything that, you know, people know you tested well, people know you played at Boise State, these things, but there, do you think there's something that people don't know about you right now that you want people to know as you head closer to the draft? Uh, not really, honestly. You know, I feel like, I feel like my Friday, like my uh, on-field workout pretty much uh, spoke for itself. And I, most teams know about my injury, you know, uh, second game of the season it really you know really uh limited me throughout the season but I tore I felt like towards the end of the season you know I was playing I was playing the game that I really wanted to play and I think the on-field workout really mirrors the the way I was playing the last few games and I think that really helps me so Fantastic, not, not much to... well I appreciate you taking the time and I wish you the best of luck moving forward thank you I really appreciate it